Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and after taking a week off to heal myself from some strange injury I managed to incur, I'm back with reviews for Disney's Dumbo remake, the latest from the DCEU, Shazam, both the Pet Cemetery original and the remake, and the biopic race relations movie, Best of Enemies. Let's get started. Your children need you to believe in them. Come on! You can do it, Dumbo. Show them. Fly, Dumbo. Fly, baby of So yeah, uh, the, I managed to at least see Dumbo last week because uh, the uh, yeah the two weeks ago actually technically, uh, but uh, by that point uh, my one foot had engorged to like the size of my own fist. The ankle swole had swollen to a size uh, that and this happens like very rarely. So. When I went to the doctors for it, they didn't have any real, like, condition to uh, to diagnose me with because there was no real consistency with it. It just spring, sprang up out of nowhere. So it could be anything from high sodium in my diet causing inflammation in the ankles to some sort of injury that I wasn't aware of that, I ha that happened. I It's hard to say. Uh, but for... For, uh, yeah, for this, uh, for that weekend, I managed to at least see Dumbo. And Dumbo was pretty much what I expected. A very boring, not very, uh, not very compelling remake, retelling of the same version. It's the same problem Tim Burton had with his Alice in Wonderland, only not as egregious. Here, Dumbo, it gets... Dumbo's problem is that the first half of the movie is the original, and then the second half is this wholly new creation dreamed up by the writers. And that new creation is pretty stupid. Like, the first half, the part that deals with Dumbo at the circus and learning to fly the part of the original from the original movie, that's still, like... like my, I went to see it with my mom because she wanted to know how it was because uh, she loved Baby Mine uh, from the original and she had a, she had a very soft spot in her heart for the first movie, and she even acknowledged that the parts that made that she enjoyed from this movie were just carryovers from the original. They didn't make her the new stuff didn't make her feel anything. The stuff from the original that they recreated was what, she, what made her feel anything. Otherwise, it was just boring and flat and lifeless and that's been the problem with a lot of Tim Burton re lately is that his movies don't have that spark that he that they, that they used to have it feels very workman like it feels very it feels like let's get this thing over with it doesn't feel like he's maybe he maybe he's not feel maybe he's just bad at conveying it now cuz i i don't want to say that the guy's given up but at the same point like Ever since the yeah, ever since Alice in Wonder Disney's Alice in Wonderland, I feel like he I haven't seen Big Eyes. I know that was a passion project for him. I have to see how that turned out. But every time he's made one of these sort of commercial properties, he like that's the thing. He used to, he did Batman just fine. He did um, 
and he did Sweeney. He adapted Sweeney Todd of all things, and that was fine for the most part. Uh, but but lately, Tim Burton has not been giving us anything to go on. He hasn't really done anything for with his filmmaking. Like Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children was kind of a boring version of the X-Men and here's just another boring Disney. This one feels like he did. He barely even directed it. It felt, it felt like he, he just basically did what Bob Iger and the creative, uh, and the creative producers over at Disney wanted him to do, you know, the people who wanted him to make these boring cash in money grab recreations of old Disney properties. It's, it's, it it really I don't think it's egregious as Alice in Wonderland or the or through the Looking Glass where it just complete it's just complete at least I mean those at least seem to try for something even if they're supremely stupid but here it's just no good um yeah the the the, the focus the shift of focus to the human characters only works if you give us human characters to care about and Colin Farrell as this. We as his you know uh, father returning from World War One with a uh, with with uh, missing an arm is not a very you'd think that would be compelling to hold him overcoming the fact that he is has an he's an amputee now and regaining his confidence that would be a great story arc but we don't get that and uh, the and then uh, yeah that the the his kids oh good. Uh, Nico Parker is the girl. This is her first movie, and she gives Jake Lloyd Phantom Menace grade performance here. She is absolutely horrendous to watch. She is a terrible actress in this. I don't want to say she's a terrible actress, period, because this is her first movie. But she did not... I don't know if it's just that Tim Burton has is terrible at directing actors now, because he's had this problem... With all of his kid actors and all of his actors, really, uh, for the last couple of movies, so we'll see what happens to her in a in a different movie with a different director. But yeah, the perform the only good performances in this movie are Ava Green and Danny DeVito and somewhat Michael Keaton, but his character is given a raw deal. And uh, there's a bit, there's a little bit character played by Alan Alda. All of those actors are able to are able to bring uh, charisma to the role to a role that otherwise didn't ha- wasn't written with any. So like all the circus ca- circus performers should be interesting, but they they're just kind of stereotypes. The kids should have some form of personality and arc to go through, but they don't. Like all the girl has is she's into science, and that's it. Like, oh, she's into science. Isn't it cool? But they don't do anything with that. It's, in fact, my mom kind of had a, you know, she felt like they were pushing for that sort of, you know, representation of of girls getting, girls being into science and da 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 da, da. All of these, you know, it felt like almost agenda-like to have these characters doing these things but at the same time, they didn't do anything with those characters. It's just representation for representation's sake. But there's no reason to remember any of the characters. Why would you care about the girl in this movie because she was into science? They, she didn't do anything with the science. She didn't do anything in the movie, really. Um, even like even Dumbo has been relegated to a bit part in his own movie, and he has hardly any of the charm of the original Dumbo character. You know, uh, his, he and his mom are treated more like natural elephants instead of, you know, 
you know, these anthropomorphized versions of elephants. And I think that's part of the problem is that everything's sort of, once again, like with so many of these Disney live action remakes, everything has been sanded down. And, and granted, the, the black stereotype jive talking crows didn't need to be in the remake. They obviously not. That was something that you could re do without. Uh, but you know, at least you remembered them. You know, at least you, you, at least they had one of the more memorable numbers from the from the original movie, even if they're very cringeworthy now. But but what we got here just has no. It take it. It's taken that Dumbo, everything that worked with that Dumbo movie, broken it down to bare its bare essentials and. Try to pad it with these things that aren't interesting. And then the entire second half of the movie is this whole thing with Michael Keaton uh, running a Disneyland-style, like, mockery of Disney, Disney, Disney-like Disney corporatization of entertainment. And if he, it wants to be, like, this biting indictment of, of how Disney does things, but it doesn't have any teeth considering it's coming from Disney. And then Michael Keaton's character just goes completely off the rails during the climax and it becomes a, a, a buffoon. And then the whole, I mean, the whole climax doesn't make any damn sense. Uh, so it's, yeah, it, this whole movie was a farce. And it, so while it, it could, it could have had the, it had the perfect opportunity to be an improved version of the original, but they decided to just do this pale imitation instead so yeah um i don't know if that would have been my it's hard i don't want to give a rating for a movie that came out two weeks ago so yeah the other suffice to say that dumbo was not something i recommend you go see just wait till disney plus comes out and watch the original if you if you even care you have bullet immunity i'm bulletproof <laughs> you're dead Sorry about your window, but nice. you're welcome for not getting robbed. Oh, hey, what's up? I'm a superhero. Shazam is an interesting character. Um, this uh, you, the, There have been plenty of people on YouTube and uh, over the internet who have broken down the whole saga of Shazam and how he was initially known as Captain Marvel, but... Dude, not even due to lawsuits. Marvel never, never had, I don't think Marvel ever raised a lawsuit against DC. DC just wanted better brand recognition and they figured, why compare, why, why give ourselves, my name is our character Captain Marvel when they all, that'll make people think of our competitors. So I think and what it really came down to was the New 52 completely rebranded him as Shazam. And that was mainly to just streamline the character. Because he had been referred to as Captain Marvel and Shazam off and on throughout his time at DC. Uh, but the characters had a long-standing uh, uh, weird history behind him. Uh, going all the way back to Fawcett being a complete and utter uh, Superman ripoff. But uh, yeah, the movie here is mostly based on the New 52 version of Shazam, from what I understand. And that kind of takes away the charm and um, sort of lighthearted nature 
which they try to bring forth, but it's a, there's still that underlying smarm and snarkiness about it. This version of Shazam is kind of playing off like DC's Deadpool, only without so much of the fourth wall breaking. He doesn't fully break the fourth wall, but he makes fun of all of the tropes of super of superhero movies. He definitely play. It's definitely played for more of parody than. Um, than anything else so it's kind of like a parody but at the same point uh it's still fun like this is the kind of lighthearted fun the dc universe needed like this it's snyder's whole grim dark edgy version of superhero of the dc characters was no fun uh i mean because that's the thing the dc characters could go dark and have and bat and you know characters like batman and um you know like even in the uh DC animated universe, the whole Justice League thing. Superman's gone dark. The whole car- all, the whole series has gone dark at points, but there was never that underlying sense of like edginess to it, of trying to make some sort of edginess that was that didn't need to be there. You know, it wasn't like the thirteen year old trying to trying to be cool. You know, whereas the New Fifty Two suffered a lot from trying too hard to be cool. And said, and thankfully, from what I hear, Rebirth, the current iteration of the DC characters, is doing much better, uh, and worked as and, and is working way better as a reboot of the universe than any, than than the New Fifty Two did. But yeah, the, I, the when we the, as soon as we can break free from the whole New Fifty Two era of writing and character development, the better, and. Uh, but what we have here with Shazam is like a pretty much a superhero parody. Like uh, Zachary Levi and Ash and Asher Angel, they don't hit the mark all all the time. But they're basic because there are definitely times where Levi feels like he's playing the old version of Billy Batson turned into Captain Marvel. But every so often, the two of them definitely uh, capture each other and capture the sides of the character of this character because. Asher Angel's definitely going for a too cool for school uh, punk kid, whereas there are points where Zachary Levi is just going, is almost going for a straight up, gosh, golly, gee whiz, you know, sort of version of, which is the original version of Cat of Shazam. So it's the, it's not it's not perfect, but it, but you know it, it works for what it is. Uh, Mark Strong. Is kind of generic, uh, but he, but at the same time, he gets a better shake here. As apparently, I didn't realize he was playing a major Captain uh, Shazam villain. Um, because I, because from what I remember, the only real Shazam villain of note is the one I remember from his animated appearances, and that's Black Black Adam, who was the original. Um, wielder of uh, Shazam's power, the wizard Shazam's powers, and that, from what I understood, the, the Rock was going to be playing him, but and I think he still is in for the sequel, uh, because he's def because he's already a, a producer on the on this movie, so I'm guessing he's stick sticking in and waiting to uh, for the next movie to become Black Adam, but. Uh, Mark Strong plays Doctor Savannah, who in the comics was was Shazam's Lex Luthor, you know, ripoff. Shazam was to Superman what Doctor Savannah was to uh, Shazam, and like they give him this weird seven deadly sins demon power, but it doesn't. 
but it's kind of I mean it, it it gets really dark and twisted at times but at the same point it's also kind of underdeveloped and weird and and silly uh it's a weird superpower to give Dr. Savanna who was more like a mad scientist than anything else uh but not to give too much away I think they I think they're going to make I think they're going to do something more with him than just give him demon powers to combat Shazam cuz yeah when it when it's him when it's just the superhero fights it's kind of boring but when it's you know Mark Strong being a be given more to do than he did it than he was as Sinestro uh it's definitely interesting i mean it's it gets really dark for a kids movie cuz this is definitely being played as a kids movie for the most part but it gets there's a scene in here that's that's stripped straight out of a horror movie but yeah uh the seven deadly sins aren't exactly really amazing as villains um but what what it ultimately is about is Billy Batson becoming part of this uh this family of uh this uh adopted family and accepting that he is that that accepting his family as his own family instead of trying to find a family that didn't that didn't exist uh and when and, and it's un, and the whole movie is all about bit leading up it's all leading up to billy batson r recognizing that recognizing how important this new adoptive family is and how it is his family you know whether or not you know it may not be the family he was looking for but it's the family he needed and 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 that and it's a family that loves him and so that him learning to discover that is is part you know is part of this movie's strength and i think they they jumped the gun a bit at the end i won't give too much away but if you know anything about shazam I think they jumped a gun and they should have waited until the next movie to introduce uh, an aspect of Shazam's character. But overall, it, it, it does well. At this point, DC making a solid uh, a solid effort and a, and a good movie is what we need. I would still say Wonder Woman is the best DC the DCEU has had to this point. But, you know, Shazam, after Aquaman and Shazam... The, the DCEU is starting to get into the right direction. So more good movies is always a good thing. So even though I didn't love it, I still think Shazam is a is a good movie and is definitely worth the watch if you're, you know, you just have to know going in that it's kind of a parody and it's very kiddy and, and kitschy like the character used to be. I mean, Billy Batson was always kind of the gosh golly gee whiz sort of character, character, character. So... Toning that down is probably a good idea as well, but yeah, it, it works. Shazam works. So, good on you, DC. More good movies is always a good thing. Your child is not the only thing that will come back. The barrier is broken. We have a second chance. Sometimes dead is better. <laughs> so I actually have a. Hi I don't know if I mentioned this before. I have a history with Pet Cemetery. Uh, as a kid, my brother and sister were watching Pet Cemetery, probably either rented on home video or watching it on TV. No, it must have been home video because I would think it they edited it for TV. 
So they were watching uh, my older brother, my oldest, my oldest siblings, my uh, oldest brother, and my sister, uh, who is the oldest. Uh, we're watching Pet Cemetery. I walked in and saw the ghost character from Pet Cemetery, the the the, the student that he that haunts. Uh, uh, ah, oh God, what's his name? Whatever the character's name is. Um, uh, that he's played by Jason Card, the Doctor. Damn it. Um. Hold on. Let me go back to main page. Pull up Pet Cemetery. Lewis. Yeah, uh, Lewis. Uh, I think crap. Crepe? Not Creed. Creed. Lewis Creed. Uh. So yeah. Uh, Lewis. So yeah, I saw that that ghost character, and I was like, "What's that?" And so, and um, my my uh sister was the one who coined the term the ketchup man and she referred to uh the ghost character uh as the ketchup man and so whenever i watched that original pet cemetery that was always the ketchup man movie for years even now we still reference the ketchup man <laughs> in our family so i rewatched the original um after after i took my nephew to see the, the new one and the original I don't think it holds up. I think that 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 movie, in terms of the King's pantheon of horror, I think Cujo is 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 scarier and more serious. This feels a lot like a B horror movie, like a like the kind of stuff that King did uh, when creating Creepshow. The kind of because uh, there's a lot of hokiness and over the top melodrama. It's uh, you know, they're, they're, like the actors are not very good. I think Fred Gwynn is the real standout as as being any good. Uh, but all he but he's basically become a caricature now. You know, like South Park made an entire character based on the Fred Gwynn as Judd, uh, thick main accent. You know, because that's the other thing is that this movie has thick main accents. It lets you know that they are in Maine. So if you've ever been to Maine. If you want to know what people from Maine sound like in the real and you know real up north parts of Maine, watch Pet Cemetery and listen to Judd and the uh, housekeeper. Listen to them. Listen to how they talk. That's how Maine pe people from Maine talk. Mainians, Mainites, Mainans, Mainers, uh, Mainers. I'm calling them Mainers now. Um, so yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think the problem with the first movie is all of like it, it's a problem with the main story as well because it's in the remake. But the whole Lewis, don't go to this totally cool evil place that I'm showing you. Avoid this place. Avoid this place at all times. Whatever you do, do not go here. I think that bit is really, um, really, really, really poorly executed. Uh. Although I will say for the original, um, Gage, the little kid playing Gage is absolutely adorable. And the way they have him, and th and then, uh, yeah, it's, uh, but yeah, Gage's death scene is really poorly executed. They have, they have a fight at the funeral and knock over the damn casket. Like, this is comedy. This is played like, and then, then there's a point where, um... His wife is trying to get back to him uh, while since he stayed behind. Uh, yeah, his wife Rachel 
their daughter is having psychic visions and seeing the ghost and seeing the ketchup man telling her that her dad's in trouble and Rachel uh has a buddy has a buddy has a traveling buddy comedy with the ghost where the ghost is like telling where the ghost inadvertently tells the uh tells like a car a car rental person about a new car and it just it's, it's all nonchalant like Oh well, you got this car right over here, and then like, and then all of a sudden the uh, the car rental clerk is like, "Oh, well, we do have this car," and it's like, "What? What am, what am I watching?" Uh this this whole the whole thing with like as much as he's in the movie, he's 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 kind of a joke, though he's played for a lo- he's played for a real joke for the most part. Even at the end, when he's calling out to Lewis to not. Uh, uh, spoilers for the original Pet Cemetery. I won't spoil the new one, but in the original, uh, Gage he buries Gage. That's the big one, and so one of the big reveals is Evil Gage, and that's a great reveal. It's probably the best part of the. It's probably the most like iconic part of the whole movie, and yeah, uh, Judd tries to fend off Gage with a pocket knife, of all things. So yeah, the reveal of Evil Gage is great, and the whole. I played with Judd, and 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 then I played with Mommy. Now I wanna play with you. Uh, yeah, the whole evil Gage bit is great. Although, uh, yeah, once again, uh, Lewis go. Lewis finds his dead wife, uh, buries her in the in the in the Indian burial ground, and and he she comes back as this really really messed up corpse like apparently gage really tore apart her eye or something because she's just absolutely disgusting looking and leaking pus and blood uh but but yeah the whole the whole thing of and then as he's carrying rachel's corpse after burning the corpses of judd uh church the cat and gage in judd's house he 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 go. He walks. He walks right through the ghost, and who's calling back? Do Lewis, don't do it! Don't do it, Lewis! And it's really silly. It's all really silly. Uh. So yeah, the the character, the actors are not very good. Um, Gage is Gage is adorable, and then Evil Gage is starts off fun, but then it, then it ends with like him saying, "No fair, no fair, yeah, <laughs> dead." Uh. Yeah, the 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 death of Evil Gage is really it's really poorly done. Uh, also, Church the Cat doesn't look any different, dead or alive. It's just he acts evil now that he's alive again. Now that he's now that he's de- now that he's been dead, but he doesn't look any different. That's kind of why I honestly prefer the remake. I know it's not getting good buzz. It's not getting good reviews. I know people aren't are kind of talking smack about it, saying it's boring. And it's a lackluster horror movie. It's kind of generic. But honestly, I enjoyed this a hell of a lot more than the original. The original I enjoyed ironically more than I enjoyed it genuinely. Pet Cemetery: the remake is honestly my favorite horror movie of 2019 so far. That's the one for for me uh, that, that horror movies need to beat. Um, the big difference is they... Uh, I don't know who, who which of his kids died in the book... But they switched it from Gage to Ellie. 
And the girl playing Ellie is a real standout. She kind of reminds me of um, uh, Chloe Grace Moretz in Kick-Ass, where you see this cute little girl doing these really, saying these really adult things and being really, uh, you know, be, sh- showcasing some really cool uh, and re- re- some real promise. Uh, Jeté Lawrence, uh, Lawrence? I don't know if she's French or not, but... Um, the girl playing Ellie in this is way is really good. She's the like especially when you can tell the difference between a live Ellie and dead Ellie, because uh, we get more time with dead Ellie than we did with dead Gage, and I and her performance is excellent. I think uh, I she I'm really interested to see if she sticks to horror or she goes into what 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 she does from here. I'm really I really hope to see more from her. Uh, Jate Lawrence uh, Lawrence. I, I don't know how you pronounce her last name. If if it wants to go full French or, or if she's from France, let me. In fact, I should see. I got the page right here. Uh, oh God, she was in the Snowman. <laughs> uh, uh, she was also on the Americans, and uh, she had a bit. She's bit, had bit parts on um the Amer- maybe not bit parts. Young Page in the Americans, and then uh, Amer- uh she was a random uh character in Jessica Jones, but who's who is Josephine Becker in The Snowman? Becker. Becker, 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 Becker. Huh. Well, she was somebody's daughter in The Snowman, but I don't remember that at all because that's a really terrible movie. Um, but apparently she's been acting for a bit now. Um, I don't know... Una. Okay, they're American, so I'm assuming it's not pronounced Laurence, uh, but her sister's name is Una, and uh, Una was one of the daughters in in uh, Pete's Dragon, and she was also in uh, she's also one of the daughters in Bad Moms. So her, her sister, Amy Lawrence who was on the Chicago series, and also played a character in Iron Fist. So both the Lawrence sisters are in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as random background characters. Uh, but Jate Lawrence, uh, I, I think she's gonna, she shows a lot of promise uh, for here as a young, as, as Ellie. Um, I think she did a great job, and I really, I really hope she goes to the Chloe Grace from Retro and just keeps you know, showcasing how great of an actress she is. Uh, even if the movies aren't as memorable, I, you know, she's always great in them. Uh, I think Lithgow is not as memorable as uh, Fred Gwynn was, but Fred Gwynn was kind of a caricature. Uh, Lithgow was given way more to do as Judd in this one, and he's really interesting as a character to kind of watch unfold. Uh, and then uh, Clark... It kind of suffers from being a bland, a bland leading leading actor, a lot of times. But he definitely has good points in here, especially as the movie progresses onward, and he you see him going crazy as this character, as Lewis, and then uh, Amy Semitz uh, Semitz. Uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, but. Um... Apparently, she was in Your Next, Tiny Furniture. I had never heard of her, but uh, she's good as Rachel. 
She's a lot better than the 89 version, honestly, because she plays it more down to earth. And, and like, we see a lot more of... Because in the book, Rachel had a traumatic experience as a kid where uh, she had to help take care of her uh, sister who had... Uh, I forget what it was. Uh, but some condition where her spine was twisted and she was bedridden and in constant pain. Uh... uh Ah, uh, God, what was it? Hold on, let me pull up the wiki. They'll sing in the wiki. IMDb wiki. Here we go. Da 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 da. Ba 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 ba. Rachel backstory. Come on. Hmm, I'm not seeing it. Uh, Ra where's Rachel uh, giving her backstory? Spookfire's visions of her dead sister Zelda. Spinal meningitis. There we go. Uh, so yeah, Rachel had to take care of her sister Zelda, who suffered from spinal meningitis, and it just left her twisted and horrifying like a monster. Sat uh, you know, it was so... Uh, horrific and she's 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 suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder she's definitely suffering from some form of ptsd from witness from having to from an incident that helped that uh happened in her childhood and she's never really gotten over it and i think that's played much better here than in the original where in the original it's just like oh my crazy sister zelda it felt like more of a soap opera point than whereas here it's you definitely feel Rachel's trauma and having to try and care for her sister Zelda and the and her wrestling with whether or not she genuinely wanted Zelda to die because because Zelda scared her so much. Uh, it's it's really well done. I I honestly think. Um, but uh, yeah, so far so uh so far uh, this is one of the better i think king adaptations even if i'm in my even if i'm in my little boat for one i'll take that i'll take being in my little boat for one because you know what the church church the cat is played way better here you definitely can tell church died <laughs> and was and was a zombie now uh everything is played more serious but even but it still maintains the overall story arc and uh, you definitely get a better sense of the distance to get to this burial ground. It's changed from being this really flat surface to kind of like being at the top of, of this mountain. So it's it, it's kind of more um, ominous and menacing. It's kind of silly overall. Like, there's no reason why they couldn't have just used something like the original's setup. Uh, but... But the 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 journey to get there is definitely like really creepy and and off putting, especially when you know what especially when you know exactly what he's going to do. So yeah, uh, this new pet cemetery, I like it. I really like it. This is my personal pick of the week. Uh, you know, you may not agree, and that's fine. But personally, as somebody who was de definitely who has had a history with this friend with this uh pro with this property. To uh, see it done, actually, gen to go back and watch the original and see it be play off as a hokey, you know, almost comedy, to then watch this and see it genuinely, you know, off-putting and 
freaky horror movie. Yeah, I absolutely prefer the remake. You know, that's not always the case. Uh, I didn't love the Carrie re- Speaking of Chloe Grace Moretz, I didn't love the Carrie remake more than the original. But I still appreciated it. So, I'm down with... So, with, with King remakes, uh, I would be interested to see how they do Cujo, if they could do Cujo, because um, that was one that I think holds up in a lot of people's minds as being, because like Pet Cemetery doesn't scare people the way that Cujo scared people. Uh, I'd be inter- even interested to see how uh, you know who would, you know would be perfect in this environment. You do Christine and make it all about. Nice guyism. How the character of Arnie and Christine is the inter- perpetual internet nice guy, and how that's how you represent how toxic that mentality is. Christine in this day and age could work if you knew exactly what you were doing. Um, so I'd be done with that remake too. Uh, but yeah, uh, Pet Cemetery 2019. Honestly, one of my favorite movies. It's going to be, we'll see if it, where it lands in the end of the year. But for right now, it's my favorite horror movie of the year. It's the one to beat for me. So we'll see what, we'll see what 2019 throws at me. If it, and if it, and if, and if it can throw me something better. Now what we talking about is important. And you go damn well listen to us. Hey! <laughs> in a bad mood today. Talking about horror. When it comes to unpopped kernels, a lot of them are often just by default. Sometimes the pick of the weeks are by default, but the unpopped kernels are usually more often the ones by default as the ones I don't recommend. They're the ones that I least recommend out of the ones I of out of the movies I saw, not because they're bad, but because they don't they're they are the least good. So it doesn't matter uh how so unless there's a weekend where I actually recommend and you, you see everything, then there, then they only, then the, then you know the lowest rung in the totem on the ladder, I will, yeah, the lowest rung in the ladder. I don't know why totem posts don't have rungs. The lowest rung in the ladder is always going to be uh, the my unpopped kernel, even if that's halfway up the ladder of quality, let's say. And I say that because I'm not sure because I mean. Right off the bat, this movie is is walking is talking about this movie is like t- walking on eggshells, um, because you're dealing with race relations, you're dealing with a biopic, and you're dealing with a lot of the baggage that comes from how you depict, uh, you know, black history and ra- and racial, you you know, and racism and race in America. Uh, this is a biopic about Ann Atwater, uh, a black rights activist from Durham, North Carolina, and C.P. Ellis, uh, the former leader of the of the Ku Klux Klan, and that in Durham, and how they event ended up becoming friends over the course of uh, this charrette put on by uh, a professor from Raleigh who uh, had the town people of Durham discussing whether or not to integrate uh, the black and white school districts because integration was not, uh, you know, was not implemented yet in, in North Carolina. And 
this movie it makes you think it's gonna be about it, it, it makes you think it's gonna be like the actual debate it's like some kind of debate or something you're not quite sure what but the movie is about what is called a charrette and I had never heard of this term before so I don't know how um prevalent it is but uh let me pull up. Let's see if there's a there should be a Wikipedia page on it. A charrette, intense period of design activity, comes from French. May refer to any collaborative session in which a group of designers drafts a solution to design a problem. And this, um, and yeah, this uh, this professor from. Uh, North the, the from uh University of North Carolina, uh, used it to help sort of, help sort of um treat underlying uh issues and problems in communities. So he used it as a social uh as, as you know he used it as a social terminology rather than strictly uh, architectural, which is where it comes from. And yeah, uh, so yeah, his, it's he basically used it as a long-form debate and a, a way of communicating with, with the, between members of the community. And mainly what this movie is about is how, C, how Anne Atwater being nice to C.P. Ellis and helping him out with, with something turned him from being a clan member into a, into a regular human being. And, and I guess my problem is, that rings to me like a Black Savior movie. Um, I mean, White Savior is a common trope in in literature, in media. It was a long-standing trope. The idea that white people are co coming here to save the poor savages. I mean, we saw it even as far back as The Last Samurai. Even later than that, we saw that as we saw that in Avatar. Avatar suffered the most from having a White Savior movie, and. Here, and I think the antithesis of that is black saviors are the ones who utilize black characters as a means of better bettering white characters. You see this in Driving Miss Daisy. You see this in Green Book. Uh, best Picture winner for, 27, for 2018. <clears throat> that's what I say to that. Uh, yeah, the black savior is the one who saves white people from being racist. And it's 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 a common trope, and I it always it's not a it's a kind of uncommon. It's not as common as white savior used to be, but as a means of trying to make white you might make white people get better on film and show that white people were in the wrong. They often rely like perfect example American History X. What stops Edward Norton? Spoilers for American History X. What stop what what makes Edward Norton stop being a neo-Nazi was learning that his black that his black one of the black inmates kept the other black inmates from 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 kicking his ass and fighting with him. And that a black inmate was nice to him. That there was a black savior in American History X to prevent to help save the racist white character. You know, in retrospect, American History X is not... I think it's more jarring 
because you're dealing with neo-Nazis. But in terms of storytelling, it, it, it doesn't, it still kind of hinges on the trope a little too much. I think when it does, when I think if they hadn't revealed that, if it was just um, Edward Norton coming to terms with the fact that his life, that his way of thinking is detrimental and is toxic, and and not just oh hey, black people are there are decent people are decent human beings, you know oh this black person made me realize not all black people are awful, you know that's the that's the overlying over, you know that's the overlying trope of the black savior the idea that black people the one black person who helps teach white the white person that that not all black people are awful you know like like driving with specifically driving miss daisy and green books do use this a lot and here as much as it it definitely is based on a true story about how cp ellis and ann atwater befriended each other over the course of this charrette it plays off more like Anne Atwater is C.P. Ellis's black savior. She, Anne Atwater is the one who made C.P. Ellis stop being racist by being nice to him. And I think that problem is not with what happened. That may have been what happened. I don't know the veracity of this movie based on what happened. But the depiction of it is very much the way Hollywood usually depicts these sorts of things. It's very truncated, it's very simplified, and it's very much comes down to the black character helps save the white character from racism. And helps them escape their racist mentality. And... I think that comes down to the fact that this was written and directed by a producer, not a... So this is somebody who came from the financial and managerial side of production and not the creative side. So here's somebody who knows how to write by the numbers and based on pre-existing models, not somebody who is willing to experiment and go outside of the box. And I think that was the biggest problem they had if they had gotten well, number one he's also a white producer so if they had gotten say someone like a steve mcqueen or someone like a ryan coogler you know someone you know found a black you know a black director or black writers to help pen this story maybe make it collaborative have have some white writers have some black writers you know make it you know make make it a mix of those Make it a mix of them so that you have those diverse ways of, th uh, way, you know, ways of trying to adapt the story instead of just this one dude who knows how to do things by the book. And, like, let me pull up his uh, IMDb. Best of Enemies. Didn't even make the top five. Here we go. Uh, the director is Robin Bissell. Robert, yeah, Robin Bissell. He produced Seabiscuit, Free State of Jones, and The Hunger Games, and Pleasantville. Wait, didn't those all share the same director? Gary Ross. So yeah, he's all he's only worked with Gary Ross. The closest he's come to race relations are Free State of Jones and Pleasantville. So the fact that he... 
the fact that this is his premiere as a writer-director feels like he's been way over his head. Because he's basically just been Gary Ross's producer for the last for the last 30 years. And now he's all of a sudden he's going to come in and tell us about Ann Atwater and C.P. Ellis. And I, I feel like we should have had somebody who's more in tune with with uh, black history and race and deal and depicting racism and race on screen instead of this milk toast dude who's only all he's done is you know help produce Gary Ross movies like if he had produced Spike Lee movies even you know somebody who has dealt with this topic before then maybe but nah it's just it's just this milk toast dude who has no real idea what he's trying to get across. And that's why it comes across. That's why even though he wants to be like the, well, can't we all just get along and look, if we just be friends, then we can overcome anything. And it's like, that doesn't solve the deep rooted systemic racism of, of that we've had to over continually try and overcome in our society. That stems all the way back to the eight that to long before all this happened, long before our country was founded, we've had to deal with this sort of systemic these systemic issues of inequality, not just for race but for class, for you know the fact that th- this dude has no real bearing and understanding of the t- kind of topics he's trying to you know, cu- trying to, he's going to end up tackling here. The fact that he come, comes off, of, he even make, like, they even say in the movie, the whole kumbaya nonsense of getting along, but that's ultimately what, that's ultimately what it, what it comes down to. It's just Ann Atwater and C.P. Ellis being friends. And it's like, nah, man, like, that's not going to solve all, it's, it's not up to the fact, it's not up to black people to befriend more white people to stop racism. It's up for white people to recognize racism and stop it systemically and help, and help even out the playing field. And, you know, to, to listen to more black voices, hear what they are saying, and act upon them and support them. Also, Sam Rockwell is playing another rede- bigot with a redemption arc. And I feel really hope that's not going to be his stereotype from now on. Because Sam Rockwell is a good actor. He does not need to be the redeem, re, you know, ever redeemable bigot in movies. Uh, but yeah, just whatever it wants to talk about finding. Com- this is really ultimately what it comes down to. This is the middle class's idea of solving racism. This is middle class and up words idea of solving racism the idea that if we just talk to each other and come to an understanding but it doesn't solve the deep-seated issues of race that are bigger than just not understanding one another yes under list taking listening to what others have to say and hearing their thoughts their their opinions their beliefs their their own store their stories and helping to understand that there's and helping to kind of bridge those gaps between people, yes, that's good, but that's not going to solve the race. It's not, it's ultimate, like, really, this is just, uh, this is, once again, another Black Savior movie because the people, the per, the dude making this does not know how to make, tell this kind of story that deals with race without relying on tired Hollywood tropes. So... It wants to try and come off as a feel-good movie about overcoming racism, but 
it's just another example of how Hollywood doesn't even understand how racism works. The only that that's why movies that's why a movie like Green Book wins Best Picture and a movie like The Hate You Give gets completely ignored. That and money, because you know, money money talks in Hollywood more just as much as it does in politics. So yeah, the best of enemies is not terrible. I was expecting way more egregious stuff in the in, in the best of enemies, but it's just ultimately boring. It's ultimately the same movie you've seen Hollywood talk, talk do about racism before. It doesn't do any. Doesn't really acknowledge any of the over overwhelming under uh, problems that come from the deep seated systemic racism in our society, and it just comes down to once again the wealthy liberals' idea of like if we all just can we all just get along. It's the centrists' idea of everything of like. Uh, can we all just get along? Can't both sides be, you know, trying to centrism and deals with trying to trying to placate to both sides. And sometimes you don't need to. Sometimes one side is inherently awful and you can acknowledge that. But this movie tends 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 to be like, well, no, that look at this guy. Isn't he he's got his own problems too, even though he's a irredeemable piece of human garbage. He just happened who only stopped being that when he met a black lady, when he started talking to a black lady. So yeah. The best of enemies. Eh, like, once again, I'm glad this didn't try to come out in the wake of things like blind spotting, the hate you give, sorry to bother you, all of these compelling, amazing black uh black you know black clansmen it's probably a good idea to push this back and let it kind of you know trickle out somewhere else down the line because you're you're never going to compare to those movies but yeah uh so we'll we'll take a quick break and come and when we come back we're going to talk about fighting brand loyalty because oh boy shazam does shazam bring that up did you know Ash's name in Japan is Satoshi after Pokemon creator Satoshi Tajiri? Did you know Roroni is a neologism created by the original author of the Roroni Kenshin manga? Did you know Godzilla's Japanese name is a portmanteau of gorilla and whale? If you want to learn about these subjects and more, listen to Majide, a Westerner's view of Japanese media and culture, available only on the Gumby Cat Network. bit of a time crunch here recording wise uh, just because uh i i didn't get started recording the episode uh, i'm recording this on the two on tuesday the 9th the day of its release the day i'm supposed to release it in the morning before i have to go in, in the afternoon like an with an hour to go before i have to go to work so i'm gonna try and uh truncate this discussion i'm not gonna be long-winded about it uh suffice to say that one of the biggest problems with um, brand loyalty is the idea that it's tribalism, but for companies. And 
it's it's a major issue with late stage capitalism. You mainly see it with things like Android versus Apple or Macintosh versus you know Macintosh versus you know Apple and Windows, and uh, and like sometimes with TV shows, like you'll see a lot of brand loyalty with fan bases. Things like uh, Steven Universe, P- My Little Pony, uh, a lot of anime, anime in general as a medium. Those, the, you know, that sort of brand loyalty, thankfully it's not, and, you know, being a fan of an anime, of a medium, is more, is better than just being a fan of a company, but there's a lot of, inher- there's a lot of issues with uh, this sort of tribalistic notion of my brand is the best, because you're not fighting, you can like a thing, you can like the thing all you want, that thing does not care about you, it's not going to take care of you. If it's a company, it is only there to exploit you. So overcoming that that mentality is is a real issue that re- needs to be addressed. And ultimately, the most you see it in terms of movies is actually just DC versus Marvel, and sometimes you'll see it with Disney fans. There are definitely there's a segment of Disney fans who don't just enjoy the 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 things that Disney makes and just that there are people who will vehemently defend Disney and and how Disney is Disney is amazing and doing great things and it's like no 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 they don't deserve your loyalty you know you don't get the only thing you get out of that company is entertainment they're get, and that entertainment it comes at, out of your pocket you are paying for that entertainment they are charging you for that entertainment and ultimately, you should not be, in, you should not, you know, swear your loyalty to an entity that does not care for you. You know, and, it, and companies will never care for you. Even if they're in hospitality, they don't, they ultimately don't care for you. If they are a for-profit entity, they will screw you over any chance they get because there there is no more ethics in late stage capitalism and so what it comes down to is that's brand loyalty over over comic books and movies and for i'm not going to get into the comics because that has a deep seated law you know those roots go deep for the dc versus marvel rivalry uh but once again I'm a Marvel fan. I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I adore the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is not the end-all be-all of film. It is not... It is not here to... I'm not here to quote from the book of Captain America and the Russos or something. You know, I'm not here to swear my loyalty to the MCU and Kevin Feige. Uh, no. I enjoy the movies. I like the movies. I still pay for the movies. I still I still have to pay for the movies, and the companies that make them do some inherently awful things. Uh, you'll see this a lot. I think Lindsay Ellis and uh, maybe H Bomber guy, a couple of guys on BreadTube have brought it up. The idea that there is no um, ethical consumption under late stage capitalism, under capitalism in general, but ethical consumption under late stage capitalism is impossible. You no matter what you consume, whether it's food. And once again, consume as in food, entertainment, clothing, whatever you purchase under late stage capitalism, whatever you're buying is most likely exploited, built on the back of exploitation of somebody. Somebody usually gets exploited 
by the by what you're enjoying. So there is no real ethical consumption. But that's a problem with the system. You can't hold singular brands accountable for a flaw inherent within the system. So singling out just Disney when when every company is just as cutthroat and ruthless and and terrible under late stage capitalism, that's a problem with with the system, not with the entity itself. The, the entity itself is still in the wrong, but the system itself is what's the was what's the ultimate problem. So yeah, uh, but once again, I don't root for DC DC to fail. I love DC Animation. DC Animation has been superior to Marvel every step of the way, mainly because Bruce Timm and uh, Paul Dini were amazing animation directors for TV. They knew exactly how to tell those stories in a way that was really compelling. It's best some of the best anim- some of the best superhero TV he had to offer for decades, and I think ultimately the 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 world want, just wants good entertainment. They want to be entertained. But if there are just those segments who fracture off and become become like devoted to supporting their uh their their brand, their their company, their tribe over other tribes. And anything else that isn't theirs is the enemy. And you don't see it a lot, but it's amplified because of the internet. And you'll see people who think the Marvel's the worst, th- the MCU is the worst thing to happen to film. But, mo- but how much? And that the DCEU is clearly superior. But it's hard. But because of these weird tribal divisions we've given ourselves, it's hard to tell. We can't genuinely talk about it because it's ultimately fueled by this strange brand loyalty that that is that is just ultimately meaningless because it doesn't matter who made the thing or what company's brand is 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 put on the thing if it's good it's good if it's bad it's bad and that's subjective so you can believe that but don't but when you try to argue for it all it comes off as is the fact that you're a, you're a loyalist. You're a fanboy. You're all, you're all you care about is supporting your brand, and I think that's an inherent issue with fandom as well. Like this crossovers with cross crosses over with 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 problems in fandom, and uh, and fandoms get get these rabid divisions within them, and get so worked up about about just supporting this one thing that they become almost broken they their mindset becomes solely in support of this thing and any sort of weird uh discretion against it any sort of weird thing that would tarnish that 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 idol that they worship is 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 to be attacked and destroyed and when it comes down to brands and specifically movie brands, movie companies, movie production houses, corporations, they don't deserve it. You do not owe them your loyalty. If they are doing something wrong, they should absolutely be called out on it. And the system itself definitely needs changing. But you can also support the art while also demanding... Yeah, I'm not going to tell you to completely boycott everything. Because once again, there is no ethical consumption under late stage capitalism. So you can't just 
boycott everything and not spend your money at anywhere and not consume anything. No matter what, no matter where you go, you can't leave your house without consuming something. You know, whether you whether it's whether it's just an ad, by seeing that ad space, you're consuming. There's no escaping it. In fact, you know, that's kind of what <laughs> they live was all about. But just remember to your just always remind yourself brands are never your friend. I, I highly recommend um uh H Bomber guy's video on it. Uh he talks mainly about fast food Twitter, but he base he breaks down this argument way better than I could, but he does it more on a global scale that brands themselves are not your friend. Even if they try to act woke, woke brands being a thing now on the age of the internet, just remember that wokeness is all is still in the pursuit of profit. They just know that acting woke will get them attention, more positive attention, and ultimately aim to more profit. So just remember, there is no ethical consumption under late stage capitalism, and brands are not your friend. Go see the H bomb. Go watch the H bomber guy video for more. Uh, I think they'll leave it at that. Uh, this really wasn't much of a discussion either. I mean, I could have gone on extemporaneously, but I also need to get this thing up and get to work on time. So, so we'll get that done and let's cut back to uh, our usual shenanigans with the box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. Since I missed a week, I am going to talk about uh, last weekend's top seven. Uh, I'm not going to give specific numbers, uh, but suffice to say that, uh, last week, uh, Hotel Mumbai dropped, jumped up to the top 10. I, that's nice. They gained more, some more theaters. Uh, Tom Perry's Medea Funeral dropped out. So the top seven last week was How to Train Your Dragon in the Hidden World, Wonder Park, Five Feet Apart, Unplanned, Captain Marvel, Us, and Dumbo. So that was last week. Dumbo was last week's number one. And now we cut to this week, this weekend, this past weekend with... Uh, the top seven being How to Train Your Dragon dropping out, uh, Wonder Park and Unplanned all dropped out of the top seven, uh, Unplanned relatively quickly. They dropped by almost half after one week. Uh, but it's, but it made twice, twice its money, so it's already successful. I'll be sure to talk about that next weekend. Uh, so number, numbers, number seven this week was Five Feet Apart with $3.5 million, bringing its domestic gross up to $41 million. And it's overall worldwide gross to sixty-two million dollars, so it's a it's a resounding you know resounding success. Uh, Best of Enemies premiered at number six, which uh, brought in four point four million dollars on a ten million dollar budget. I'm sure it'll make back its budget, so it's not going to be a total flop. But yeah, I don't think people were in anywhere near engaged to check this out, especially after, uh, after you know after kind of the backlash of Green Book. And even so, Green Book is ultimately a better movie, even if it's more egregious. So yeah, there's no real reason to see this movie. Uh, I would honestly recommend, I, I meant to say this in the, in the review, but go read the article that inspired it. The actual CPLS and Anna Atwater are way more interesting than this movie made them out to be. Number five is Captain Marvel, which brought in uh, four, which brought in $12.4 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to 373 dollars million and it's worldwide gross over a billion dollars yeah they, they i think captain marvel hit the billion dollar uh mark last weekend so good for it good job captain marvel you're doing good uh us 
is at number four with $13.7 million, bringing its domestic gross up to 152.3, and its worldwide gross so far up to $216.5 million on a $20 million budget. Rounding success. Definitely not, definitely no sophomore slump for Mr. Peel. So good for him. Uh, number three is Dumbo, which brought in $18.2 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to $76.2 million, and its worldwide gross up to $215.8 million. It took about two weeks to just make back its budget, so it's definitely not as successful as things like The Beauty and the Beast and Cinderella or uh, a live-action remix were, and I'm guessing the Aladdin and Lion King are going to be way more successful just because of, the, of what they're remaking. Uh, number two, new, new premiere is Pet Cemetery, which brought in $2.24.5 million this weekend. And overall, its opening weekend made $41.8 million, which is already twice its budget. So it's already successful. So everything else after this is profit. So good, good for you to Pet Cemetery. I'm glad you did well. Uh, I knew the, uh, bad word of mouth. I don't know how the bad word of mouth is going to help budget on the long haul, but for right now, it's, it's doing well. It did. It did what it needed to do, and made back its money. And I'm interested. And hey, if we continue more Stephen King adaptations, that I'm fine with that. You know, the the dude's so prolific. We, there's definitely stuff, plenty of stuff to tackle. And then premiering at number one with fifty three point five million dollars is Shazam, which brought which has to this date brought in fifty six point eight million dollars. And over, domestically and overall worldwide brought in $159 million. So yeah, Shazam opening weekend did, did gangbusters. It made back its budget. Now, it's, now it just has to make back the marketing. But hey, I think that's good for it to do so well, to have a good and a great solid opening this weekend. And it deserved it. So yeah, the ones that I liked the most this weekend premiered at number one and two. And, and they deserved it. So yeah. Well, this past weekend's box office was solid, so good for them. And uh, well, now that we've looked at the week that was, let's take a look at the week ahead in Trailer Talk. Coming this summer. It's Trailer Talk. Rated R starts Friday. So we actually have a pretty full slate of new releases coming out this weekend. Um, I'm not sure if I'll be able to see them all, but I'm going to do my best. Uh, suffice to say that the ones I'm definitely going to see are uh, the are the first two we're going to cover. First up, the big release coming out this weekend, the new life, the new Hellboy movie, which I think looks great so far. Um, we're t I can't take a look at the Red Band trailer, sadly. Uh, given the nature of this podcast, because I want to keep it a little cleaner, but, uh, yeah, uh, we're gonna take a look at the older trailer for this one, so, uh, let's take a look at that first trailer for Hellboy. They warned us that something was coming. If there is ever an end in this forever war, it will be because of you and your strong right hand. I need to watch Stranger Things. Because I hear great things, and I know David Harbour is in that. He's great. He, if anyone's going to replace Ron Perlman, Dan Har David Harbour has done an amazing job at it. Oi. I need some ID, love. Um, are you serious? 
made me a weapon. <laughs> this April. I just wanted to help you become the best you. Some dads get their kids Legos. How we got to be saving the <laughs> <laughs> Does it do anything special? Yeah. It smashes things real good. Oh, save the world. Mankind's best. Just for the hell of it. I thought we were supposed to be fighting monsters, not working with them. You call him monster, pal. You look in the mirror recently. He's an asshole. Sorry. I interrupt. On the contrary, you've arrived just in time. Oh, yeah. This looks great. It looks like they're trying to cram a lot into um into the into uh this one movie because I think they're kind of afraid that they're not going to get another chance but I still love I love everything I'm seeing so far so I can't wait to see it uh, this weekend um, next up we've got the uh, comedy Little uh, from Issa Rae, starring Issa Rae and Regina Hall um, uh, and uh, what's her name uh, the little girl from Blackish so let's take a look at the, at the latest trailer for that This is the latest trailer. It looks like the same trailer as before. But I don't know when you're gonna call, so when would I sleep? When I'm not calling. Am I being unreasonable? No, it's not unreasonable at all. Excuse me? Both by Legendary Pictures. Taking the boss ladies on a warpath this morning. Every morning. No! Ding dong! Ding dong! Oh, God, man. Regina Hall. I got big and I got rich. So now who gonna check me, boo? I wish you were little. What in the black Jesus? You're a little boss. To everyone else, you're a child, so you have to start acting like it. Get back to work. Whose child is this walking around here in a tiny pink pantsuit? <laughs> what? Child Protective Services, enroll this child in school or somebody is going to jail. By somebody, do you mean? For the producer of Girls Trip at Night School. School was like, these kids were mean, cruel. Not all bad at your school, though. Yeah. Your daughter's adorable. Oh, it's not my daughter. I can tell that you are a special young lady. I feel like you get me. I feel like I get you, too. So you feeling what I'm feeling? No, I'm not feeling that at all. Don't. Don't look at me like that. Just look, look, look the other way. Look the way, look the, look up there. Salute. You have a chance anyone would kill for. Maybe you have to do something differently at this age. Botox? Think you're the boss of me? Say one more thing, I dare you. You're too fat. For that skirt. Okay, see, I've been looking at you like a little girl, but you a grown ass woman. We have a BMW situation. Black mama whooping. Ass 
Yeah, so I'm I'm very cautiously optimistic. Uh, it could go either way. It could be completely generic and do all the jokes. It could just be all those same jokes we saw in the previous kind of movies, those previous kinds of movies. But I liked Girls Trip, not so much in high school, but I think that comes down to Kevin Hart. Um, so, yeah, I'm really interested. Uh, plus, Issa Rae and Regina Hall look like fun, and so does the girl. Um, do they list her on, the, on this? Uh, Marseille Martin. Uh, yeah, they all, they all look, yeah, Mar right? No. Yeah. Oh my God, Marseille Martin gets an executive producer credit at, at like 13. I mean, you know what? Get it, girl. <laughs> yeah, d get that money. You know, I'm not saying you don't deserve it, so good for you. Um, these next two, I'm not sure if I'll get the chance to see. I'll do my best. Uh, so, uh, this first up is the hell that hath been wrought by Fifty Shades. Another fanfic turned trashy romance no movie. Well, turn into a terrible romance novel, turned into another terrible romance movie. It's after. Call and text every day. Mom, it's college, it's not a survival course. It'll be fine. Truth or dare? Okay, truth. Are you a virgin? I'll do dare. I dare you to make out with Harden. I'm done playing this game. Oh, I like this girl. Based on the worldwide phenomenon, I'd never heard of this damn thing. Harden, Scott. I think that it's better if we keep our distance. That wasn't that. Welcome to my favorite place. Yeah, this Harden Scott is basically Harry Styles in the fanfic. I don't think we can ever be just friends. April 12. You are stunning. Nothing could ever change the way that I feel about you. Just be careful. What happened? It has to do with Harden. Something's going on, but it's not what you think. Nothing. Making a big mistake. Will. It's gonna break your heart. Be. The. Same. What are you dreaming about? You watch this piece of crap. Oh god. Oh god. Yeah. So if I have the, t we'll see if I have the time. I'm definitely limited by my work schedule uh, from seeing a lot of stuff, but I'll see what I'll see what I'm able to. And ugh, ugh, ugh. all right. Uh, next up, we've and then lastly, uh, the latest from Leica is coming out this weekend. We've got Missing Link. Uh, so let's take a look at that trailer. I offer you a glimpse of a legendary creature lost in time. Neither ape nor man, but a giant. He's had many names. Bigfoot, Yeti, Sasquatch. Actually, I go by Susan. Susan! Su Susan. Yeah, Susan. That is a girl's name. Yes, that's correct. It suits you. <laughs> 
need someone who knows the wild places of the world. And you're the world's greatest adventurer. What exactly do you ask of me? I'm lonely. I'm the last of my kind. But on the other side of the world, they talk of this creature, the Yeti. I think these Yetis are my cousins. Can you take me there? I give you my word. Okay, what is it? What? Your word. No, it's a figure of speech. Sounds good, what is it? <laughs> we have a long way to go. We'll need a map. We don't get a break in, are we? Climb the wall and pull me up. I'm taking my time, but I don't know where. Oh, no. Bravo. Thank you. For the studio that brought you now, Kubo and the two strings. You belong. You'll need to keep a low profile. Um... A monster! Oh boy, that is gonna let in an awful draft. This spring! So let me see if I understand. You plan to travel around the world to the home of the Yeti. I know the secret ways through the mountains. You see Gamu. Whatever you do, do not mention the chicken. No chicken, got it, zip. <laughs> Greetings, venerable Gamu. It is an honor. What's with the chicken? <laughs> you Jackman. It will not be easy, but we will find your place. Zoe Saldana. And Zach Galifianakis. We call it... What does it mean? Keep out, we hate you. <laughs> Missing link. From me out of the pit. I think you might be a little too heavy. Nonsense. Now, give it all you've got. <laughs> oh, it's hard to know whose fault that was. Let's do it again. <laughs> uh, yeah, it looks like fun. So, oh, well, after this episode recording, I'm going to look at the teaser for the Addams Family movie coming out later this year because I need to see how that looks visually. Uh, anyway, uh, so, yeah, those are the trailers coming up for this weekend. Uh, I'm, I, I'm definitely going to see Hellboy and Little, but I'm not sure if I'll be able to fit in the others. Uh but I'm going to do my best. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'll let you know. Uh, so, yeah, I may end up just seeing three and then having to carry over whatever I can to the next week just because of time constraints. But, yeah, uh, that does it for, that about does it for this episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you would like to keep updated on all the new episodes as they come out, be sure to favorite that page and whitelist us on your ad blockers. And be sure to check out all of our other fine programming. Donna over at Snarkcast has a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, the Family Business. Once more with Feeling. Uh... You know, the, the uh, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods. Uh, Mike and I are going to be working on Majide, hopefully later later in the in the next coming months. Um, and if you yourself are a podcaster and you would like to join our little fledgling network, uh, be sure to leave us a message at uh, GambiCatNetworks at gmail.com and we will be sure to check out your stuff. Uh, otherwise, if you're listening to this on the go, you can find us on any of your various podcast providers, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, um, and we're on Pinecast now, so pretty soon I'm going to start implementing features for Pinecast premium stuff, patron stuff, like you would with uh, Podbean or Patreon, and I'm going to try and ease off the Patreon a bit, just because there's just been no activity there. So I'm going to see if Pinecast does any better uh, in terms of patron stuff, uh, but 
Otherwise, yeah, uh, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review and let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. You can also check out our our uh, social media presence at facebook.com slash popcornjunkie, uh, 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 Twitter at cornjunkiepod, Instagram at popcornjunkiepodcast, and uh, yeah, and uh, you can also uh, follow me and hear see my reactions on Stardust. Uh, I'm not as active there just because, once again, time... My, uh, you know, I, I need to, I'm, I'm, I'm having less and less time than I, th- than I used to. Uh, but Hey, at least I'm able to afford going to these things. So if you want to help, you know, if you want to help out support, uh, try, you can try the Patreon. I'm not as, I, I haven't been as active on that, or you can find us on Pinecast and donate there. Uh, I forget what the explicit link is. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start memorizing that, uh, now, but yeah, uh, be sure to let, you know, be sure to share this with your friends uh, if you like it, uh, and be sure to you know engage with us. I would love to hear back from you. So if you yourself have uh, your own thoughts and opinions about Pet Cemetery, the remake, or the original Shazam, Dumbo, Best of Enemies, uh, my thoughts on brand loyalty. If if you have your own sort of stories about suffering, either taking part in it or you know seeing it happen with people, with your friends or people you know online. Uh, send all that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want me to read it out, just leave a, leave a line in the, either the subject or the, or the message that says you give me explicit permission to read this on the, on the podcast. Otherwise I'll just simply paraphrase. So, uh, yeah, uh, that about does it for this week until next time. That actually does it for this week. That about this, that does it for this week's episode until next time. I'm John Bailey and you won't get me yet. You filthy meat sack. You you may you may cause me inexplicable pain, but I will still work on this stupid podcast. We all have our own battles to fight, folks. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. <laughs>